That might serve some of you adults uh, if you'd like to grab one of those and uh, draw some pictures or take some notes or something. Uh, Man, really good to see you this morning. Really glad you're here. Our sermon text is in um, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, and uh, we'll be reading verses 1 through 20 this morning. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Uh, this, this book here was written uh, by a man named Luke. Uh, he also wrote the book of Luke in the Bible. Uh, the book of Luke is, is a book of facts about the life of Jesus. And the book of Acts, then, is a book of facts about what happened after Jesus returned to heaven. Uh, This book tells us how the original Christians then went out to spread the news about Jesus Christ. Uh, At this point in the book of Acts, Paul, the Apostle Paul, has just started out on his third and final missionary trip here in this book. He's traveling to new areas. He's telling people about Jesus Christ. And Paul now enters the great city of Ephesus. He was there in the last chapter very briefly, promised he would come back if the Lord allowed, and now the Lord is opening the door. He's heading back into Ephesus. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll read. Well, Father, we just bless your holy name. We thank you, Father, that you're a God who never lets go of us in and through Christ Jesus, that a simple faith in Christ, and we are protected, we are preserved eternally by you. You sustain our faith in and through Jesus. You, you build us up. You strengthen us. You, you are with us in calamity. You are with us at all times, preparing us to be with you in glory. And Father, we just believe that one of the primary ways that you work in us in this life is in and through this book. Your scriptures breathed out by you for our eternal good. So Father, we just look to you and ask as we open and look into this part of Acts that Father, you would bless us in and through the Spirit. Open our hearts. Let us receive great things from you this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 19 verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he, Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook 
to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And I lost my place. <laughs> but who are you, Jewish high priest? Where did it go? <laughs> there it is. Thank you. 16. Oh, my word. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Man, it's time to go home. Uh, Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them, upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Amen. You know, when you, when you study a book of the Bible, it is very easy to miss the forest for the trees. You get just, just so focused on all the little trees inside the book, the little events in, in that book, it, you lose sight of the, the forest, the, the main point, the purpose of that book. And listen, that would be very easy to do in the book of Acts and very easy to do here in Acts chapter 19. There are some great little trees here in Acts 19. These miracles and the handkerchiefs and the, the exorcists. And, you know, we just don't want to miss the forest here, though. The main point here in Acts chapter 19. You know, if we step back here and we look at what Paul does now in Ephesus, or for that matter, if we step back and look at what Paul does in every new city he enters in the book of Acts, what do we see with the Apostle Paul? Here it is in just a few words, all nations in word and deed. All nations in word and deed. Paul's primary aim in the book of Acts is to take the gospel, the good news message of Jesus, to all nations. Because Jesus told his disciples to do that. Matthew 2, 28, 19, here it is. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make more Christ followers, make more Christians in all nations. And the apostle Paul took that seriously. He just did. That is Paul's aim in the book of Acts. Making disciples, Christ followers, in all nations. We've seen that with Paul. With these three missionary trips he takes in this book, he just keeps expanding, moving out and out further. More nations, more cities, sharing Christ with those who's never heard. And how does Paul share Christ in all of these cities? Well, he shares Christ in both word and deed, with both his words and his 
actions. And we see that clearly in the text we just read. Lots of great stuff there, little trees, but don't miss the forest. What did we see there? Very simply, Paul moving toward all nations here, entering a new city and sharing Christ in word and deed. Here are the two main parts of this text that we'll look at today on the screen. First, we see here a ministry in word, and second, we see a ministry in deed. And the first thing we see here, number one, is a ministry in word. I want to show you a map of where Paul is now. He recently left Antioch, way over there on the right. He then Uh, This is his final missionary journey here. Then traveled through these smaller towns where he had earlier in Acts started some churches. And verse 1 says that he now went through the inland country there, this mountainous region toward Ephesus. You may recall earlier in Acts he tried to go there and the Holy Spirit stopped him. Wasn't the right time. But the Holy Spirit now opens the door and he ends up in Ephesus. And we know that the city of Ephesus was critically important to the Apostle Paul. How do we know that? He will now stay there for three years. Longest stop on any of his missionary journeys. And why was Ephesus so important to Paul? It was a major city. Fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, half a million people. And listen, Paul's mission strategy, when you look through the book of Acts, is to target major cities. His aim is to get Christianity established in the major cities, and with all the traffic then in and out of those cities, Christianity could spread. If you can somehow impact the source, the headwaters of a river... If you can do something at the source of the Mississippi up in Lake Itasca, it can then flow to the rest of the country. And that was a major city to Paul. Make an impact for for Christ there at the source of a river and it could spread. And Ephesus was a major city. Archaeologists have found inscriptions in Ephesus from this time period that describe Ephesus as, quote, the first and greatest metropolis of Asia. Now, now check this. First century, it had a 25,000-seat amphitheater. Here's a photo, an aerial photo of it. And here's one more photo. Paul will be there in the very next passage. And we actually tried to get that for our next facility. Uh, you, would, you would have loved the rock seats there, uh, I'm sure, in that amphitheater. Uh, there was also a, a major temple in Ephesus, a temple to Artemis or, or Diana, the Greek goddess of fertility. Um, that temple at the time was one of the seven wonders of the world for its size and its beauty. Here are some of the remains of this temple to Artemis or Diana. And Paul is now there in Ephesus. And listen, Paul here in Ephesus, he instantly now starts to minister in word. If you look at the end of verse 1, 
There in Ephesus, he found some disciples, 12 men, verse 7 says, and Paul said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So catch the picture here. It's a little difficult to know exactly what was going on with these men. They were disciples, verse 1 says, but most likely still disciples of John the Baptist. They had not yet transitioned from John to Jesus. Paul will have to tell them about Jesus later down in verse 4. And John the Baptist had ministered in Israel before Jesus. John was sent by God to prepare Israel for this coming Messiah, Savior of the world. John called people in Israel to repent, to turn to God, get ready for this coming Messiah. And those who did repent at the preaching of John the Baptist, when John baptized them, it was a baptism of repentance. And John had many disciples, people who followed him and his teaching. We see them several times in the Bible. And these these men here in this text, at some point, had become followers of John, received his baptism, verse 3 says, maybe back in Israel many years earlier, and had then maybe relocated to Ephesus, and they were probably still waiting for a coming Messiah. They had maybe not even heard of Jesus. His death, his resurrection, didn't yet know the Messiah had come, didn't yet know there was a new baptism now in the name of Jesus for all Christians. Paul asked them, verse 2, if they'd received the Holy Spirit, and they say they never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. So these guys definitely don't yet know of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that has taken place at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Wayne Grudem and Thomas Schreiner in the ESV Study Bible, they say this, They say disciples here refers to followers of John the Baptist. They did not know of Jesus. That they had not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit indicates they had not heard of the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. And therefore, they probably had not heard much of Jesus' life and ministry and certainly not of his death and resurrection. So just pause for a second and kind of catch what's going on. These guys are, are kind of caught in a, a little bit of a time warp here. Still essentially living back in the days of John the Baptist, as far as they know, a pre-Messiah era. They haven't caught up yet, heard the news, haven't made the transition yet from John to Jesus. Derek Thomas says this. He says, they had been converted to John. Not to Christ, not yet anyways. And so Paul now, with his first ministry in word here in Ephesus, he catches these guys up to speed. He tells them about Jesus. If you look at verse 4. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. Jesus. 
And listen, knowing Paul, I'm sure Paul fleshed it out a bit for these men, told them how Jesus was the fulfillment of all that John had taught, how, how Jesus died, he, he rose again to pay the penalty uh, for our sin. I'm sure he told them uh, that it was now through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that a person could be forgiven and enter a relationship with God. And these guys now transition from John to Jesus. You look at verse 5. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And that right there is the final outpouring of the Holy Spirit here in the book of Acts, which happens in waves as it crosses ethnic barriers. It starts with full Jews at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit poured out. It then goes to half Jews, Acts 8 in Samaria, Holy Spirit poured out. It is now in the in a Gentile world, Ephesus, Acts 19, Holy Spirit poured out. And these men have now been essentially pulled out of a time warp, full new covenant Christians now living fully now in this age of the Holy Spirit in which we now live. And Paul's ministry in word, which started right there with those men, it now just continues for several years. Verse 8 says that Paul now, for the next three months, enters the synagogue, speaking boldly, (laughs) persuading the Jews in the synagogue that Jesus Christ is truly the Messiah. But some Jews there, like many Jews in the book of Acts, they reject Jesus, become stubborn, verse 9 says. It literally means they hardened their hearts Old Testament phrase, we see it right here, they're hardening their hearts now against Jesus. Verse 9 says, they continue in unbelief, speak evil of the way or of Christianity. So Paul does what he always does. He goes into a city, into the synagogue, he's rejected by the Jews, and now he turns to the Gentiles. Verse 9, Paul goes out of the synagogue to non-Jews in this hall of Tyrannus. And that word hall in the Greek could be translated as school. Tyrannus was maybe the owner or the teacher of of this hall or or school. And it's, it's actually a little comical when you stop and think about it. Tyrannus meant tyrant. Uh, So you got to wonder if that was the name his parents gave him. (laughs) Our son is a tyrant or... Maybe just the nickname his students gave him, uh, Tyrannus. Uh, man, you, you know Tyrannosaurus Rex? <laughs> They're looking at their teacher like he's, he's some voracious dinosaur. I had a professor in seminary. They called him the Velvet Hammer. Uh, nicest guy ever to flunk you. And he flunked many students with a hug. But he was vicious in class. And Paul is now in this tyrant's uh, hall or school. And verse 9 says, Paul now reasoned there daily. The Greek word, as we've seen several times in Acts, could also be translated as dialogued. Uh, 
Paul conversed in this, in this school building. A, a back and forth conversation with the people there about Christ. John Stott calls it a dialogue evangelism. Some early writers say that Paul did this in this hall from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., five hours every day. We don't know if you have an ESV Bible, you find that at the bottom in a footnote, may or may not have been true. If it was true, it would make sense. That was the hottest period in Ephesus, now modern day Turkey. Imagine teaching 11 to 4, middle of the day, uh, uh, without air conditioning. And, and Ephesus, from 11 to 4 in the afternoon, the entire city took a break. It was essentially this five-hour siesta uh, during the hotter hours there in Ephesus. And I just got to find a way to move to Ephesus because I want a five-hour nap <laughs> every single day. Uh, that's what this, this city did. And then they would work late in the night. They said there were more people awake at 1 a.m. than there were at 11 a.m. Uh, and, and what might have happened here, this school, whatever school was meeting in this building, they might have met there in the morning, in the cooler hours, while Paul worked at his tent making. As we've seen several times here in Acts, to support himself in his ministry. And once the school and the city then took a break, 11 to 4, Paul then moved into that building and conversed with the people. And, verse 10 says, that Paul did this daily. And just think of this. What a missional move by the Apostle Paul. He knows people can't meet at a certain time. So he gives up his rest during this time and goes, hottest part of the day, on their turf. Not in a synagogue, but a public building in Ephesus, meeting people on their turf when they can meet, sharing Christ with them. For two years. And just add that up. Assuming that Paul did this for approximately five hours daily, as Luke says, for two years, probably six days of the week, resting on the Sabbath day, that is over 3,000 hours of dialogue. Hottest part of the day with non-Christians. This was a relentless labor from the Apostle Paul to share Christ in word with those who had never heard. And listen, this had a massive impact in the region. If you look at verse 10 again. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, it's a little Jewish expression Luke has used there when he says all the residents heard. He's not saying every single person. Luke is saying there that through the labors of the apostle Paul for two years now, the gospel message of Christ has penetrated into every corner in Asia. Paul's strategy. Target the major cities. If you can impact the source, the headwaters of a river, it can spread everywhere, and it has now into all of Asia. And what have we now seen there? First part of this text, it is just a relentless ministry 
from Paul in the word. Sharing Christ with his mouth. Also writing letters at this time to Corinth and other places. Sharing Christ in spoken or written word. It's the first part of the text here. The second thing we see here then, part two, is a ministry indeed. Paul sharing Christ now in his actions. If you look at verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. You know, we've, we've seen God all the way through Acts now working these amazing miracles through all kinds of different Christians and especially through the 12 apostles. It was one of the ways that God attested or confirmed the, the message they were speaking. The apostles would share the word in all these cities about Christ, and God then worked miracles through them, proving that this Christ was real. And verse 11 says that God now worked extraordinary miracles through Paul. And the Greek is literally no ordinary miracles here. So, you know, these things here are not just your ordinary garden variety miracles, which we'd all love to see uh, in, in our own lives, but these were extraordinary, rare, remarkable, blow-your-mind type of miracles. And Luke gives an, as a, an example, if you look at verse 12. Extraordinary miracles, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched Paul's skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. That would be some extraordinary miracles. You know, those handkerchiefs, those aprons, they were probably from Paul's tent-making work in Ephesus. Sweaty, uh, I'm sure. Uh, Rags he had worn around his head, Aprons he wore while he was working. Ooh, gross, don't touch those types of things. And yet, God was working extraordinary miracles <laughs> through those things. And so the people were grabbing them up and taking them home and placing them on their sick friends, relatives, and the diseases would leave and the demons were cast out. And you can sit there and think, man, that, that's crazy. Cannot believe that. Why? God's the creator of heaven and earth. He can do any, anything he wants. And, you know, we see other miracles like that in the Bible. A woman was healed just touching the fringe of Jesus' robe. And back in Acts 5, people were actually laying their loved ones on the street when the apostle Peter walked by, so just his shadow would hit them. And Acts chapter 5 says that all of those people were healed. And if God can heal through a shadow, he can heal through a hanky. And he does it here. That does not, however, mean that you should now try to heal with your hanky. This was the Apostle Paul, God working extraordinary miracles here through the Apostle Paul, and more importantly, God nowhere in the Bible tells you to do that. God says we should pray for healing. 
But nowhere does God say, layest thou hanky, and I shall heal. You won't find that anywhere. Now, people will tell you today that they can't do that. Turn on the TV. You'll hear people claim they can heal you through their hanky. I know of a man, his ministry mailed handkerchiefs to people, said that they had been dipped in the Jordan River, and if you placed it on your body, you would be healed. If you also gave a donation to that ministry. And the next time someone gives you a hanky like that, please give it to me, and I will use it. Blow my nose and burn it, because it's a lie. Every time you hear it, it's a lie. It's a lie. But God did it here through the Apostle Paul. And all these miracles here, they didn't just confirm Paul's words about Christ, show that his words were true. Now listen, all of these miracles here in Ephesus, these miracles were also very simply just the pure compassion of Christ for hurting people. You know, it's so easy when we read through the Bible and we read about these miracles, we, we get so caught up in all the miracles. I've got, I got to find my anointed hanky man and go out and do similar stuff. And we miss the fact that these were real people. They were hurting with diseases, sicknesses, dying tormented by demons. And Jesus now, through the apostle Paul, has essentially stretched out his hands and healed the gentle compassion of Jesus Christ. And it's just another sign that Jesus truly cares about not just our spirits, but also our bodies. Listen, every time, every time Jesus heals in the Bible, either by himself or through his people, it is a reminder of one of the primary reasons why Jesus came. Jesus came and he took the sin of the world upon himself, not just to heal spirits, but also to heal the bodies. Of all who trust in him. In the future when, when Christ returns. The Bible says the body of every person. Who truly trusted in him in this life. Your body when he returns will come out of the grave. A glorious resurrected healed body in every single way. And you'll then have that body in heaven. And every healing in the Bible, including these, Jesus is whispering, that is why I came. The human body was wrecked in the Garden of Eden. Death entered, sin, sickness. And Jesus came to heal what had been wrecked in the Garden. These healings are a tiny snapshot of heaven. Where all of Jesus' people will one day be healed, both spirit and body. And Luke here, you read through this story. He then tells a rather humorous story. The people in Ephesus, 
They just catch. They're, they're seeing all this stuff, these miracles now, grabbing these hankies and running home to their family members. All this power working through Paul from Jesus. And a few people here now try to use that power without actually knowing Jesus. Verse 11 says there were some itinerant Jewish exorcists. It was very common back then uh, for these Jewish or these pagan exorcists to travel around. They, they had these elaborate ceremonies and used all of these incantations to try to cast out demons uh, from people. And listen, this was a big deal in Ephesus. Ephesus was actually known for its books of spells, books of incantations, some of those things still in existence to this day. And these Jewish exorcists here in Ephesus now tried to use the name of Jesus to cast out demons. I, I adjure you, verse 13, I command you, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, come out, demons. And look at verse 15, where I got lost. Is it 15 or 16? It's 15, I believe. Yes. But the evil spirit said, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And you know what the Greek is there? The spirit kicked their tails. That's, that's what it is. It's exactly what you see right there. A good old-fashioned whooping uh, from the spirit through this demon-possessed man. And you know, that right there is what we would call a reverse exorcism. <laughs> These exorcists try to di- drive a demon out, but that demon has now driven the exorcists out. It's a reverse exorcism. And all of that, It just highlights the power of Jesus Christ. These exorcists are driven out by a demon. And Jesus is driving out demons through hankies. It's the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And man, all of this stuff, it just impacts this entire city. If you look again at verse 17, and this became known. I'm sure it did. Guys just ran out of the building naked. Everybody in the city now knows it. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So just catch it. It's a massive city now, Ephesus, and it's beginning to praise Jesus. And, and those in Ephesus who now turn to Christ in faith, their lives are changed dramatically verse 18 says that those who are now believers they came confessing divulging announcing their practices this was an open public declaration of their sin it wasn't just this hidden confession oh god forgive me of my sins no it was right out in public mourning before the rest of the crowd god forgive me for my practices and verse 19 those believers who had previously practiced magic implying that even as believers, they had probably still been trying this thing. Well, they now brought their books of spells and burned them. The value of those books, most likely several million dollars. A voluntary book burning. 
and you just pause and look at what's happened here in Ephesus now, that is what Jesus does for everyone who truly comes to him in faith. He changes your life. Now listen, he doesn't ask you to change everything when you come to him. He doesn't tell you, clean yourself up and come to me in faith. He says, come as you are. Come just as you are. I don't care how dirty you are, how filthy. I don't care what you've done. I came to save sinners. You come as a sinner. You trust in me now. I will wash you. And he does. And once you've come to him in faith, though, he gets inside of you. And he begins to change you from the inside out. And maybe for a time as a Christian, you still practiced your magic. Thought that was okay. Jesus sent a little bit of a magic book. But suddenly you're becoming convinced by the Holy Spirit that that is actually sin and you're now burning your magic book whatever that might be for you and Jesus is conforming you Jesus is changing you he came not just to save sinners but to change sinners to conform sinners into his own image not overnight Paul says from one degree of glory to the next not all degrees of glory at once but he came to change people and please hear me if you say you trust in Christ and you've said that for 30 years but your life has never changed You are still pretty much the exact same person you were 20 or 30 years ago. No steps in sanctification whatsoever. You should probably now begin to question your profession of faith. Because you could have a dead faith, as the book of James says. Jesus changes people little by little. He's doing it here in Ephesus. And that, this thing, this thing has now become a changed city. Luke ends this text with this, if you look at verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily in this city of Ephesus. Listen, the very culture of this massive city has now begun to change. Major city now absolutely rocked with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A culture change which will soon lead in the next passage here to a serious culture clash in Ephesus. But listen, this was Paul's plan. This was Paul's plan. This is what he's labored for for three years to impact this entire city for the Lord Jesus Christ. Impact the source, the headwater of a river and that can then spread and it did here throughout all of Asia. So, what have we seen in this text? I mean, don't, don't get lost in the trees here in Acts 19. Great trees. Don't get lost. Catch the forest here. What do we see here in Ephesus? What do we see, for that matter, all through Acts with the Apostle Paul? It's a ministry in both word and deed. It's simply spoken words about Christ in conjunction with compassionate deeds in the name of Christ through his hands and Ephesus now explodes. New disciples, followers of Christ impacting now in radical ways this entire continent. It's not rocket science, is it? A simple ministry in word and deed. Now granted, this was the Apostle Paul Blood, sweat, and tears ministry for Paul. Hard labor, several years. And 
extraordinary miracles, which certainly helped his cause here, but it was still, when you boil it all down, it was a ministry in both word and deed. Paul says this about his life, Romans 15, 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed. And you know, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because that's the exact same thing we see with Jesus himself. Here it is, Luke 24, 19. Jesus of Nazareth, a man mighty in deed and word. You know, you think about it, Christian, that's what Jesus has done. That's what he's done for you. A very simple ministry from Jesus to you in word. He's ministering to you daily through his word and a deed ministry from Jesus to you. He's now caring for you through the body of Christ. The people sitting next to you here in these seats, Jesus constantly, daily, a word and deed ministry in your life. And that's what we see here with the Apostle Paul. But please don't miss the other important piece here in Ephesus and throughout the rest of the books. See, this book of Acts, it isn't just a ministry of word and deed here in Acts. No, it's aiming to do that in all nations, all over the world, from one people group to the next, one city to the next, just as Jesus commanded. That is the great forest in Acts. It's a central theme. It's just men, it's women, it's children aiming to share Christ in both word and deed in all nations. And please hear me, Christ Redeemer Church, that's our mission too. That is our mission too. Ever since we started this series, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but, but you've maybe seen scrolling on the screen here before our services this title I chose for this series it says, Acts, our king, our mission. The, the Jesus we see here in the book of Acts, this is our king too. And the story we read about here in Acts, this is our story. This, this is our mission that we see here in, in the book of, of Acts. We're the extension of Acts. The early Christians took the ball a certain distance toward the end of the earth, making disciples, and the early Christians then handed the ball to us. Now you, you take it further. Disciples in all nations, through a simple ministry of both word and deed, proclaiming Christ in written or spoken word, and doing compassionate deeds in the name of Christ in all nations. So, let's aim at that. Christ Redeemer Church. Don't get lost in the little trees in the Christian life. There are lots of great little trees in the Christian life. But remember the forest here in Acts? All nations. In word and in deed. We want to do that as an entire church together. You know, when we first started this church, we just passed our ninth anniversary. We started this church nine years ago. I wrote in the original paperwork for this church that we thought this church, because of where it would be positioned here in the East Metro, it could become a launching pad to the nations. Eventually launching people and resources out to new areas. 
launching Christian workers out and missionaries out and, and church plants out. And the Lord, it seems, is now beginning to help us to do this. We, we, we sent out a few years ago our first global missionaries. We're, we're seeking to send out more. We're now training up our first church planting resident to go out and plant a church. The elders have already talked about a couple of extra or a couple of additional possible church plants. The Lord, it seems, really is now building us into this type of launching pad. Man, to send people, to send resources out to minister all nations in word and deed. And please hear me. We just want to keep that as part of the bullseye for this church to worship God by going all nations in ministry of word and deed for in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep that as part of our bullseye. Lord willing, as you've heard this morning, we will be moving to a new facility early November. Uh, We tried to get the facility I showed you up here. Uh, Couldn't get that. So it's East Ridge uh, High School on November 3rd. Uh, Thank God for that. And let's not get distracted. Let's not get distracted simply because we're moving to a different building with nicer seats and better sound. We have been created for a purpose by the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been called by God to glorify Him by raising up worshipers for Himself all over the world. The Scriptures say, let the nations be glad. And how will the nations be glad? By finding their joy in and through Jesus Christ. That is the joy for which we were created as human beings. And because of sin, we've been disconnected from this eternal joy. And we now look for joy in all kinds of inferior things. And God is saying, look to me again. And we are sent as God's people to cry out, let the nations be glad. Find your joy in God. The fountain of joy in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the joy your heart now craves. And how will we do that, Christ Redeemer Church, in ministry and word and deed, as we are launched out, not just globally, but here, in our life groups, in our our families, in our neighborhoods, going to minister the words of Christ with the compassionate deeds of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God help us. May we keep that as part of the center of our bullseye and never forget it no matter where we move. May God help us in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for uh, just uh, how you um, in, in the word can help us to step back and remind us of the forest. And Father, we can look at Acts 19 and so many questions we might have about these guys baptized with John the Baptist or, or the, 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 the handkerchiefs or the exorcist. And Lord, don't let us get lost in the minutia. Father, help us to step back and see your glorious God who's called the people to yourself in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you now in love send your people out saying let the nations be glad. A simple ministry now in word and deed. Father, help us to keep our eye on that target forever. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.